Welcome to the Grace Capital Church Podcast, broadcasting from our Laconia campus. Good, good morning, Laconia, buenos dias. Am I on? All right. Listen, uh, I'm so excited. God is really saying something to us this morning. And I love the worship set. I love what we were declaring this morning. And Jason, um, you were strong. It's not easy to come up here and, and share, right? It's not easy. And he did it well, didn't he? I like men stepping up for Jesus. But I want to... I wanna, I want to kind of enter into the stream of what God is saying today. He had a very declare, a very strong thing that he was declaring to us this morning. And, and I tell you what, why I want to really kind of jump into this sermon. I just got back to the States on Monday. Okay, it's been one week today. And I felt something I've never have felt before when I come to the United States. I have felt a certain angst, an anxiety, a sense that America is different, that America is changing, that we're threatened, that, we're, that, that there's a real, the initial opening sermon on Tuesday night had to address that. And I think leadership um, is trying to get a hand on what God is saying to us uh, about that. There's anger. I mean, you guys, New Hampshire is a very important state when it, when it begins, when we're talking about the primaries. Candid, presidential candidates are starting to come up here and, and, and give their, their pitch and, and, and try to convince you that they're the leaders that would lead us into the future. There's, there, we're, we're, we're unhappy with, with our government right now. We feel like we're lost and what our place in the world and how, how do we... How do we confront what's happening around the world? We, we feel like we're kind of trembling. And, and I've never, I've never in, have experienced this. It was unsettling to me to hear leaders, in, and especially in big urban centers. My two sons live in Seattle, and I was listening to the, the pastors talk about that. It's just the challenges of, of it, it just seems like, we're, we're at war. And, 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 I, and I, I want to address that. I mean, what does God think about that? What, what does he feel about that? What does he want to say to us? Because I'm telling you, this is not new. The people of God have always struggled when they're in their time in history as to, God, what are you doing? And the prophets talked about this. And so I want to address that. I love it because I can never see my watch. So I'm supposed to preach 30, 30 minutes, but I don't know what that is, you know. I don't know what that is, but, you know, I'm going to try to kind of feel it, all right? So I want you to open your Bibles to um, Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. And I, I want to give you a sense of how I am approaching this because Mexico, I live in a country that's very unsettled, very volatile, and um, it's right on our border. And so I, I've, I've, it's interesting. I've had to kind of wrestle with this in Mexico. 
But I've never have experienced, it was the first time, it was almost shocking for me to feel the angst that, that my brothers and sisters, I love this country. And I, I, I believe this is just, gosh, this is just my wrestling with this issue. And I want to give it to you. And I, I was just saying, Lord, it's not, this is not the message I gave last night. And, um, you know, people that come up here and speak the word of God, you better know what God is saying. And you don't want to waste people's time. And so I was looking for confirmation. And man, the worship set just screamed. And I just want to piggyback on where our worship leaders led us this morning. Jeremiah chapter 12. Are you excited? Man, I'm about to pop! I'm so excited. Seriously. When God just kind of... Yeah. And He's here. Man, I want to get down on my knees and just say, Okay, God. Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Righteous, I'm reading out of New King James. All right, I know you got, I, I, you know, I go all over, but this is really the four square Bible, you know, the spirit filled Bible. This is four square, so I'm just kind of figuring it out when I come up here. Um, righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. That's good doctrine. He knows he's righteous. Yet let me talk with you about your judgments, but I got a bone to pick. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? You have planted them, yes, and, if, and they have taken root. They grow, yes, they bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but far from their mind. But you, O Lord, know me. You have seen me. You have tested my heart, uh, tested my heart towards you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. Man, if you haven't prayed for God to take somebody out and kill somebody, you don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus. <laughs> I love this part. I love it. Get him, God. You know, he's intense. He's looking... The prophets experience what we are experiencing now. They're seeing unrighteousness. They're seeing people that are not in line with what God wants to do, and they're prospering, and they're getting away with it. That's what ticks you off, right? They're getting away with it. And, you, and, and, and all you want to do is tell them, God. I, I, I identify with that. I love the Bible. Because <laughs> God, and if you're like real passive, oh, Jesus, you know, Jesus is love. He is. But when you relate to him, you can be so honest in your approach to him. And so it says there in verse 4, how long will the land mourn? How long? This sense of lostness, this angst, this anxiety. How long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? The beasts and birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there. 
because they said he will not see our final end. This is Jeremiah. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us today to be encouraged in your word and help us, Lord, to understand the days that we're living in and what our response is to all of this in Jesus' name. Jeremiah is in a moment of angst and he's angry and he's looking to God and he knows God is righteous, but he just doesn't understand what's going on. So he goes to God and he says, I want to talk to you about this. And I'm seeing people getting away with stuff, prospering, and I don't get it. My reaction was, God, take them out. And then he cries out and he says, because look at us, the land is mourning. Now, what's interesting is God's response. And I'm going to take one part of it. He says in verse 5, If you have run with the footmen and they had worried you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? Now this is what's amazing. <laughs> God... We can be so freaked out about what's happening and we can go to God and begin to cry out to him. And you know what his response is? Is that all you can handle? I'm scared. I'm so mad, God. I'm so mad. I want you to cap it. And God is saying, is that all you can deal with? Man, I've called you to run with horses. You're, you're supposed to, oh, you can probably, oh, you're trying to run with, man, that's not even enough. I want you to run with horses. You can't handle when it's peaceful. My goodness, what are you going to do when the flood comes? God's answer to us, the church, is that we got to rise up. We can't be afraid. We start being, oh, God, I'm so out of whack here. I'm so afraid. And he goes, what? God believes that we can do so much more. He wants us to run with horses. I'm always measuring my leadership. When I begin to feel overwhelmed and I can't do it anymore and the issues are so hard and the needs are so great and the problems are so, so complex, and I'm looking at myself and I'm going, how can I even deal with this? And the Lord says, is that all you can handle? I've called you to run with horses. Now, how does God say that to us? How can he challenge us that way? And it's almost not fair. You go, God, I can't handle. Some of you right now are at a place in your life and you are saying to yourself, I can't handle anymore. I'm done, God. And he says to you, you want him to have, oh, tender compassion. And he's going to challenge you today. You can do so much more. You can face so much more adversity. You can persevere through anything because it's grounded and rooted in God's call in our life. Man, we are, we are living in the most important season in the history of mankind. We need to delight in the season, in this moment of history. 
We need to be excited because this is the time for the church of Jesus Christ to stand up and run with horses. Amen. No more. Bring it on. I I told you I felt like popping. I want you to go to uh, Jeremiah chapter 1. This, it's rooted, it's grounded in our call. Man, I am so excited that I'm living in this time. I mean, what's the worst that can happen to us? We die, they kill us, and we go to heaven. And we will reign with God for all of eternity. Man, God is just waiting for me. To, he says, okay, I had, a dream of, I had a dream of heaven one time. And it would tick me off because it was early in the morning and I had to go to get up and go to the bathroom. And then I came back and I said, God, I want to get back to the dream. And I, uh, and I couldn't get back there. Why did I have to go to the bathroom at that moment in my life? And it was beautiful. And oh man, it was so happy and full of colors. And, and, and I remember I got there, and everybody was, like, happy. They go, Johnny, you're here. Like, it was a surprise. <laughs> like, you're here, Johnny. And, and, and we're, you know, they're saying, we're going. Everybody was walking, and it was like balconies, and it was beautiful and colors and joy and happiness. And everybody's, come on, Johnny. We're going to go hear the Lord speak. We're going to go here. Come on. And I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to be here. And I'll tell you something, please don't think I'm weird. But this is the sensation I had in my dream. I could look at women and there would be no sexual tension. You know that thing where you're always kind of holding back because, oh God, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. You know, this thing that's part of our sinful nature. And, and, and it was so pure. I could, I, I, there was no sense of holding back anything. That's the thing that, please don't think I'm weird, you know. It's just I'm being so honest. I had this sensation that you could just, oh, I want to love people without any kind of tension. No competition with men. It's not like, dude, I, you know, okay, oh, I'm better than him. No, that guy's got me one. No. It was just so open and loving. Oh, I want to die and get there. So, man, we got nothing to lose. All right. Now, okay, watch. This is grounded. I mean, because I'm telling you something. God wants us to have faith. He wants us. He wants us to kind of rise up. He wants us to run with horses. And I, and, and I have a passion for that. And how do you kind of breathe that into the church, especially when it's hard? Especially when our own personal lives are difficult and when we see everything around us and it seems like it's just going down to the toilet. And God is saying, this is your time. This is your moment. And it's grounded on our call. Now look, Jeremiah chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priest who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin. Now, this is one of the biggest hindrances. The hindrance is always we look at our background. We look at our come from. We look at our families, and we look at all the dysfunction. 
and, um, and we, we disqualify ourselves. You know, I never knew my dad. But I don't give a rip. It's just, what, however it messed me up, I don't care. Because the thing I see about this, all we know about Jeremiah is that his dad was a priest. But we don't, was he a good priest? Was he a bad priest? Was he a passive father? Was he an aggressive father? Was he rigid? What kind of relationship did his father have with his mother? Is he the weeping prophet? Because Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because his father was absent, always out doing his priestly stuff, and he lived with his mom, and so he's a sensitive kid. We don't know if he was a, a, a priest that was a wealthy priest or a poor. We don't know anything about him. We don't know anything about what his family was like. We just know the town he's from and the name of his dad and that his dad was a priest. Because I'm going to tell you something. God, I've got to be careful about this. This is, this is my interpretation of, of, of how this stuff works. But God is not that interested in where you come from. It's not that big a deal for him. It's a big deal for us. And we really talk about it, you know. And we all, oh, you know, dysfunction. So what? You know, we are all dysfunctional. It's called sinful nature. And we're born with it. And humanity's had it forever. And so... What's the big deal? And so what I'm interested in is not so much the fact that, oh, well, Jeremiah, uh, let's do some psychological profile on him. You know, no, we don't have really, we don't know. God doesn't tell us much about his background other than his dad's name, his dad's town, and what he did. But he doesn't tell us any of the familial dynamics. But what he does say He repeats this over and over and over and over again. You go to verse 2. It says this. To whom the word of the Lord came. Verse 3. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came came to me saying the thing we don't know much about his background we don't know much about jeremiah's family but we do know that the word of god came to him and if we're gonna run with horses we must be a people whose mind and heart has been informed by the word of god i mean we need to be what you know everybody wants a revival you know what our revival I mean, we were talking about, we need a move of God. You know what our move of God needs to be? A back to the Bible movement. Back to the word of God. And to have that word just inform my thinking. That's what we need. Now, the word of the God came. The word of the God came. The word of the God, the word of the Lord came. Now, this is, this is, This is how we ground. It's not where we come from. It's not who our family is. It's rooted. Listen, faith is imagination. Faith 
listen, my mother is Guatemalan. My dad is American. I've lived in the States. I've lived in Mexico. None of that makes any difference. Because when my identity is my imagination, when I read about Abraham, when I read about Isaac, Jacob, you women, when you read about Deborah, when you read about Hannah, when you read about, the, about Mary, our imagination, faith is that I put myself there with my people. That is my group. That is my tribe. That is my life. I have enveloped, and I see myself there, and I see how God relates to them, and that's how he relates to me. It's imagining yourself in the stories of the scriptures, and that's where your identity begins to get formed. It's in the word of God. Guatemalan, I've been there a couple of times. I love their black beans and their tortillas. American. Oh, yeah, I speak English. Mexican? I also like their tacos. But I, me, I am a person that's rooted in the people of God. And their story is my story. And that's how my reality exists in the Word of God. Faith is imagining yourself in that story. And you've got to know it. Now, so it's there. Then this is what the word of the Lord says. Before I formed you in the womb, there's three things. I know you, I sanctified you or set you apart, and I've ordained you, I've sent you to the nations. The first one, I knew you before you were formed in the womb. I love that image. To be known. Somebody knows me. You know, we were looking at that um, video of those soccer players. Th this is how I can try to give you an image of it. When I, I, I lead teams. I've led teams forever. And one summer, I was leading maybe six teams. We were on the sixth team, and I was fed up. I didn't want to evangelize. I didn't want to be around Christians. I didn't want to interpret anything. I was just done, tired, you know. I just done. So I had to get away from everything. I had to get away from the Christians. I had to get away from evangelizing. I, had to go away. I, I didn't want to do any more mission stuff. I was just overloaded. So I hid. We had break time, and I said, I'm getting away from these crazy people. And I'm going to go hang out somewhere where nobody's going to ask me, huh, can you translate, you know, I want a Coca-Cola? Just say, I want a Coca-Cola, you know, you know. <laughs> so, so I'm cruising down, and I run into this street where these little boys, about 7 to about 11, were playing soccer. They're playing in the street. And it's like they had this radar. They knew when a car was coming, they'd get out of the way without looking. It was amazing. So I sat on the steps, and I start watching these kids play soccer. And they were good. And one kid did this move where he kicked the ball over, and this other kid made a goal, and I got excited, and I went, go! And, and you know, they looked at me, and like all of a sudden, they were playing like for the World Cup because they had a, a crowd of one. 
And, and so I'm just like getting into this game and watching these kids and, you know, they got a deflated ball and they're really going after it. And they're, now they're just watching me watch them and they're sacrificing their bodies against the cars and stuff. And I'm thinking, these kids are awesome. They're good. Just like I saw some of those goals were awesome. And so eventually they couldn't stand it anymore and they kicked the ball over to me. And they go, Cubo, que onda? And it's, hey, what's up? And I go, you're what's up. You're what's awesome. So we sat down and we talked, I don't know, for a long time. And they told me about the stepdad that they hate or the sister that bugs them or, you know, they just, they talked about their lives. And then I looked at my watch and I said, oh, it's here. I looked at my watch and I said, man, I got to go. So I said, hey, guys, I got to go. And they said, are you coming back? And man, I wanted to lie to them. But I knew their lies were full of broken promises. And no, I said, no, I, I'm not coming back. I, I didn't want to be another broken promise. And I said, no, I, I'm not coming back. We go back to San Luis. We were in the town of Zacatecas, and we were going back to San Luis Potosí. And I said, let's pray. And it's funny when you got a little bunch of little guys, you know, you, and you want to hold hands. You know, somewhere like, they think, you know, fire's going to come down. And this other guy, you know, because, you know, holding hands with another guy, they're like, you know, they're like kind of geeking out. And so, so I prayed with them and asked the Lord to bless them and reveal himself to them. So as I was walking away, the Lord spoke to me. He said, Johnny, you're just like those kids. You love people seeing you do your thing. You love people seeing you do your thing. And he said to me, there's not been one moment in your life that I've missed anything you've done. I've been there and I've seen you when you sin. I've been there when you've been sad and ashamed and humiliated. I've been there when you're really excited about something and nobody knows about it. I've been there when you are in love. I've been there when you've been happy. There's not a moment, and this, I'm kidding you, I'm not kidding you, this, there's not a moment in your life, honey, where I haven't been gazing at your life. God knows us. There's not one second of our life that he's when he's not with us and observing us and loving us. That kind of knowledge. I mean, Andrew when 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 you know, it says it says in John, before Philip called you, I saw you. He's a God that sees. Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. It's the place of dreams. And that's when Andrew began. Was it Andrew or Nathaniel? Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Good, you're a Bible. You're better than me. Nathaniel says, um, he declares him to be God. God is aware of us. He knows us. The second thing, it says, you know, I, I, I don't, it used to bother me when it says, before you were born, I sanctified you. I, I, 
there was a time I didn't like that word. I didn't like holiness. I didn't like sanctified. Because if you're like me, that, that word, just like you know, you just don't cut it. You know what I mean? That word's like a big word, and I'm so far away from that word. And, um, but I, under, I understand that sanctification, it's not, part of it is morality, but it has to be set apart for God, that you belong to him. And that's why God can call dirt holy or a table holy. It's, it's just, it, it's holy because it's, it's in somehow connected to God. And God is holy because really there's nothing that can be compared to him. That's why he's holy. He's so different from anything that exists. He's so separate. And so I began to understand holiness is that God has separated me to do the stuff that Jesus does. And, that, and, and, and it's not a word that I need to be afraid of. It's, 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 for me, it's being conformed to image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And, and what did Jesus do? Jesus loved the unlovable, the marginalized. Jesus gave hope to people. Jesus gave dignity to people. He respect, you know, he didn't like the religious people. I, I like that. They ticked him off because religion misrepresents who he is. But... But being sanctified is you, you do what Jesus does. And man, I stay in the Gospels and I see how, I see in Luke chapter 5 how people are just elbowing themselves to be close to him. People wanted to be near him. He was so attractive. He, you know, he, he made you feel like you were the most important person in the whole universe because you are because he died for you. Jesus is so amazing. He was, he was not caught up in any kind of weirdness. He was just who he was and he loved you for who you were and he gave you a sense that you didn't have to stay where you were at. And so, first of all, I mean, God knows us. There's not a moment in our lives when he hasn't been aware of us. And then he calls us to do the great stuff that he does. And then it says he's ordained us to the nations. Man, we've got the word. We've got the word of hope. We can say like we sang, man, um, fear not because the promise. I didn't know any of those songs, but I love those songs. Kind of kind of send them to me on you know, my iPhone. We'll translate them into Spanish and we'll sing them in our church. But every one of those songs, that's our message. Listen, it might be getting a sense of things are out of whack and disjointed in our country, but this is the time when the church needs to stand up and say, hey, I'm running with horses. I'm running with horses. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be, oh, buckle under and acquiesce to this angst and this, this, this culture and there's no hope. My God, we've got God Almighty that has given us a word. This church, Grace Capital, is the answer to this state, to this country, and to the world. You guys, I beg you. God doesn't want you to run with men. God wants you to run with horses in the name of Jesus. 
in the name of Jesus. If that's you, just stand right now and say, God, I want to run with horses, and I'm going to beat them in the name of Jesus. I'm going to win the race. Oh, God, here I am. Use me. I'm going to be a part of this church. I'm going to be light in the darkness. The darkness cannot withstand the light. In Jesus' name. And the people of God say what? Amen. Amen. Thank God. Let's give him a praise and a worship. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church podcast. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and the mission that we have in New England, or if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to support this ministry financially, please visit us online at gccnh.com.